Coming up this week, off screen. The Alien series makes a covenant. Jessica Justain introduces us to Miss Sloan. Johnny Harris swings for the jawbone. The grief process undergoes a levelling. An unlikely friendship blooms in France. And the dark side of humanity rises in Tomcat. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor, and I'm John Coulson. Stepping in for for Mr. Allen this week. So. Yeah, bigger and better. Bigger and better. <laughs> well, we've got bigger. You know, we don't necessarily have to go with better. You've watched uh, American soaps. Um, you ever see those American daytime soaps that they have? Only when in America. Only when in America. Have you ever seen it when an, another actor steps in, like the understudy steps in for one of the other actors? Oh, yeah, and they just don't talk about it. They don't talk about it. What they have is an announcement at the beginning of the show. It's like, this week, the part of Kincaid Iron Pants will be played by... <laughs> and, and that's it. So it's like, this week, the role of Case Allen will be played by John Colson. <laughs> nah. But, okay, so before we get on with the uh, the news, the reviews, the box office top five, uh, let's have a piece of news to kick us off. You, you obviously are aware of the Hellboy series. Yes. Have you seen both of them? seen Hellboy 1 and Golden Army? Uh, I've seen one. I, d- I never saw the second okay. one. I prefer the second one, actually. But ah. uh, subject to sore discussion in our house, uh, uh, I prefer the second one. I'm, 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 out, I'm out matched in that. They are now rebooting Hellboy. What? It, it's getting rebooted. Yeah. Are they still using Ron? No, no Ron. This is going to be a Ronless job. I'm out. <laughs> it's a wrong and wrong. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, instead, did you see Stranger Things last year? Uh, the Netflix show. The Netflix show, yeah. No, it's still on the list. It's still on the list. Well, the sheriff from Stranger Things is going to be the new Hellboy. So David Harbour, who most people wanted to be Cable. Like right. he, he was in, in talks to be Cable in Deadpool. He was one of the considerations. One of the um, 400 people. One of the 400 people, indeed. So, you know, because they couldn't get Anthony Hopkins or Redford or any of the great actors, they <laughs> they slummed it and settled on Josh Brolin. And then David Harbour just said, well, you know what? Sod this. I'm just going to be uh, I'm, I'm just gonna be Hellboy instead. Yeah, nice. So As you do. As, as one does. Yeah, I can't be the Marvel hero, so I'm just going to go and be the son of Satan with a big red right hand. And a cigar. Um, and a cigar, yeah, exactly. Uh, also, this is where it gets really cool. It's going to be directed by Neil Marshall, who brought us Dog Soldiers, who brought us The Descent, Centurion. Uh, what was the one in Scotland with the, the wall and it was like the viral apocalypse in Scotland? It starred Rona Mitra. It was awesome. Everything with Scotland, my immediate answer is just Braveheart. <laughs> Do you ever see Centurion? That was the one he did with uh, Michael Fassbender. It was like a Roman in Britain kind of a epic. It was awesome. No, that was before I accepted Fassbender as a person. Oh, okay. Well, that was when he was starring in things like Jonah Hex. So oh, right. we like to forget those times. It's well but, before. Yeah. So Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen nice. is going to be apparently R-rated. It's going to be close to the comics. Oh, it's, nice. Yeah, it's going to be a lot more faithful than the Del Toro ones. So, oh. yeah. And Star David Harbour. That's cool. I like this. All right, maybe I'm slightly more back in. I'm starting the petition now to get Annalee Tipton to be Elizabeth Sherman. You start that petition for pretty much anything. I I will, yeah, yeah. For the the opening of a mailbox, I will start a petition for (laughs) Annalee Tipton. But, okay, let me do a review then, get one out of the way. Uh, Miss Sloan. Are you aware of this one at all? 
uh, ish. You, you'll have seen adverts for it on the sides of buses yeah. and things. So this is Jessica Chastain doing what what works as sort of a cross between Scandal and Erin Brockovich. It's sort of Jessica Brockovich. Oh, right, if yeah. you Jessica Scandalvich, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so it's directed by John Madden. It is the story of of basically a very timely story in a strange way. She's a lobbyist. Oh no, nice. she's a DC lobbyist because that's not topical at all. Not one right bit. Now. No, not at all. So the idea is she is the go-to lobbyist. She is the one you get to champion your cause. She is effectively Olivia Pope from Scandal. Oh, nice. Only, you know, looking a bit more uh, Julia Roberts-ish, we shall say. <laughs> and uh, she is she's approached by the, the firearms industry. Right. To basically say, there's a, there's a bill going through and they want to increase background checks for handguns. We want you to destroy that bill. And she decides she doesn't like the cut of their jib, as it were. No. She decides to to walk to leave her firm, and in the ultimate act of spite, she goes and she joins the other side. And she decides she's going to lead the campaign for the bill to increase oh. uh, background checks on firearms, which of course doesn't help that she's actually something of a closed-off person. She's kind of emotionally stunted because all she does is argue for a living. She's uh, she's kind of cold and unfeeling, and the only gratification she gets in life is from uh, male escorts in DC hotel rooms. Oh. And uh, she finds something of a protege in Gugu and Bartha Raw, who's this sort of the, this, the survivor of like a school shooting, right. who works for her, and Jessica Chastain puts to work as the face of the campaign. We have a clip in which Jessica Chastain encounters her former work rival from her old company, played by, do you know Michael Stolberg? You know I'm useless with names. He was Doctor Strange's rival in, then, in Doctor Strange. Then, yes, the, I do. The, the, the other Doctor, the one he didn't like. Yeah, yeah. That's Michael Stolberg. Uh, here's a clip of the two. Not, not Doctor Strange, obviously. But uh, <laughs> here's a clip of Stolberg and Sloan. Since when were you camera shy? Uh, what happened? You find a wrinkle? If it isn't Bill Sanford's poodle... Let me guess, on a tight leash, sniffing at his ass for business? If you went such a joke, we'd already have his business. So how about this? Give Minnie-Me a day off, and I'll give you a shot at the title. Live TV debate, you and me. You must be desperate if you're willing to give me your time. I kick your bony ass hard enough, Bill Sanford, to realize why he came to us in the first place. Uh Uh-uh, you need me strong to make him worried. You're not looking so strong after a head-on with me. All right, I'll grant you a job interview on national television. You can show your master what a big, tough dog you are. So she's all steel face and just ice cold. And I love her in this. Oh. And I've never been overly won over by Jessica Chastain, to be honest. No. She's one of those where she's, like, technically a brilliant actor. She's a brilliant technical actor. Yeah. But uh, then when you see her in something that requires a bit more fun, a bit more oomph, she's always a bit... Uh, so playing cold-hearted seems to work. For playing cold-hearted seems to work. But you remember, like, Crimson Peak? Yes. Yeah, that was the, the Guillermo del Toro haunted house movie with Tom Hiddleston, and Tom Hiddleston was having the time of his life. And then you had Jessica Chastain, who just couldn't get over her own accent. She was there. She was she was just sort of there, <laughs> and she was terrible in it. And, and yeah, this seems to happen with it. Also, the Snow White spin-off, the Chris Hemsworth Snow White spin-off. Uh, uh, Huntsman. Huntsman Winter's Boar. That was it. Uh, yes, no. yeah, Winter's Boar, which lived up to its... It's made up title. <laughs> um, uh, she's great in this, though. And like I say, it, it's like 
like a sort of it's a less light-hearted Aaron Brockovich oh. and supporting cast are great Gwen Barthoreau gets all the sort of the easy emotional stuff the sort of the, the I can do tears I can do tears acting oh, single tear jobs <laughs> single tear jobs she can do that well nice. uh, Michael Stubar plays a wonderful slimy antagonist because that's what he's good at he was even good in like the Steve Jobs movie when he did that as well um, Mark Strong's a sort of a mentor figure I like Mark Strong very much he's Everybody very good in it and John Madden keeps keeps proceedings go along with a little bit of momentum and it all quite works. I did like it. I liked it very much. It plays around with its timeline a little bit where half of it seems to be set now and the rest is in flashback and it works very, very well. I think as a vehicle for her, I recommend it oh, very yeah. much. If you've always wondered what the fuss is about Jessica Chastain, I would I would check this out. Oh, right. I didn't get a chance to see The Zookeeper's Wife recently, I must admit, but I was off that week. And chilling. Chilling. I was chilling that week, and there was only one screening on a Thursday, and it just didn't seem... Uh, it seemed a bit overkill. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, plug the podcast real quick, because you, you usually get a podcast edition, don't you? Yes. Rather than, than live radio. Always podcast. Always podcast for you, which, of course, you can download and get the extended edition, uh, because after the end credits, we've got a whole heap of stuff where we usually go through more film news, the reviews we can't fit into the radio edit, and, of course, Moment of Cage, which, yes. you know... The best bit. W- best bit's worth it on its own. <laughs> <laughs> and then I usually get text messages from you mocking them at different, different <laughs> My stages. review of the moment. Your review of the Moment of Cage. And, of course, if you want to find that, you can just go pop along to uh, iTunes, Acast, uh, TuneIn, any podcast platform, really. What do you use? What podcast do you use? Uh, podcast. Just, just Apple Podcasts. Just Apple Podcasts. So I want to use Acast because of the links thing that pops the up. digital you... bling. Yeah. If you... I'll be really honest, we don't set them up. Oh, uh, I would love to. I just don't have the time. We could actually, if we, if we thought about it, we could actually stick the digital trailers into the... Uh, yeah. I should probably look into that. Since he's not here, let's just say that that's Case's it's job. It's Case's fault. Stop yeah. Case's yeah. fault. Yeah, yeah, he drops the ball on that one. It's totally, yeah, totally <laughs> does. It's, you can't get the staff nowadays. But uh, should we just explain? Case is off for the next three weeks. Case is uh, finishing up his teacher training. Uh, so and it's the final three weeks, so he's He's up to his neck in it. Oh, so that's well, good luck, mate. Yeah, good luck to him. And uh, and then he'll be a music teacher, and he can fulfil his dream of becoming Richard Dreyfus in Mr. Holland's Opus, which is all he wants in life. As long as it's not the whiplash. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and no one wants to be rushing or dragging. Uh, one final bit then before we move on. We've got to talk about the passing of Michael Parks yesterday, which was very sad news. Uh, Michael Parks, most of us, I think, know nowadays from Red State more than anything else. He played the Fed, Fred Phelps character in Red State. The Kevin... The Kevin Smith, yeah. yeah. But I remember him from the beginning of uh, From Dust Till Dawn, where he was the sheriff. Remember at the beginning uh, of uh, the sheriff who comes in has that great big monologue? Yeah. And, and then just casually gets executed. Well, you know. As you do. That film has a few twists. That so. film has a few twists yeah. and turns, yeah. Uh, he passed away age 77. Oh. Uh, yesterday, they've not released the details of his death, and uh, yeah, it's very sad. It is sad, but uh, yeah, he, he, he worked with some greats as well. He worked with Robert Rodriguez on From Dust Till Dawn, and then he worked with uh, Rodriguez and Tarantino on Grindhouse. Kevin Smith on uh, uh, Tusk and Red State. Oh, Tusk! I never. Yeah. yeah oh no, no. Tusk is 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 a really twisted film. <laughs> he was also in Argo, which, oh. uh, which I forget who he was in Argo. But, uh, but he was there. he was he was there, so yeah. But uh, so fare thee well, Michael Parks. We hardly knew ye, except for the large back catalogue of films you left. We know those very well. <laughs> but uh, still, a sad loss to the film world, nonetheless. And we'll be back after this with the latest film news and reviews. This is Off Screen, the on-screen radio show. 
And we're back. So, Mr. Coulson, yes. where should we go next? What should we, what should we take on next? Um, Jawbone? Jawbone, which uh, I, I think the, the, actually the title refers to a passage of, of text at the beginning of the film, which comes from the Book of Judges. Right. And uh, right, if I just pitch this one to you, because I saw this about three months ago. All right. And I did the written review there and then. But obviously, you don't do your radio review in advance, because what are you going to do? Record it and just stick it in a folder and, and, and just you remember edit it in. Put, yeah. yeah. Edited in later. Uh, so I had to see it again. And uh, I really loved it the first time, and I really loved it the second time. Oh. So it's not lost any of its charm in three months. This is basically Rocky meets I, Daniel Blake. Oh. Imagine that. So you've got Johnny Harris, who... I don't really know Johnny Harris or anything. He's he's kind of a... He's, he's a sort of second-stringer actor. He's, he always plays like the henchman. All right. He's like, he's like henchman two. You know, in, in a Guy Ritchie movie. Not even the first one. <laughs> Not even the first henchman. He's always like Henchman 2 in a Guy Ritchie movie who's got, like, two lines. You know, he's always he's always the guy that goes and makes the crime boss a cup of tea. All oh, right. You know, that guy. So now he's he's written this, he's produced it, and he's starring in it. So, you know, write the theme tune, sing the theme tune. Usual fun. Like it. And he plays Jimmy McCabe, a former youth boxing champion. Apparently, this is semi-autobiographical. Like, apparently, he actually is a youth boxing champion. Oh, right. And uh, he's basically... He was a youth boxing champion when he was, like, 14 to 16, sort of that kind of an age. Um, he's gone off the rails in his, in his older years because he went into unlicensed fights. And it's led to a life of substance abuse, of, uh, you know, taking... Uh, physically violent jobs for money right. and it's now left him due to a sort of daniel blake-esque being turfed from his own home so they can knock down his block of flats uh, left him homeless uh, recovering alcoholic and he seeks solace in his childhood gym right. which is run by wouldn't you know it Ray Winston. Oh, nice. As these places always are, you know? Yeah. Nice. So you've got Ray Winston overseeing the place. In the corner of the ring, you've got the corner man, played by Michael Smiley, from uh, Kill List, from uh, Free Fire, from any Ben Wheatley film. Yeah. Any Ben Wheatley film ever. And then, of course, in the background as well, you have his friend, played by Ian McShane, who's a sort of slimy boxing promoter who can arrange unlicensed fights for him. And the whole idea is he wants to take on one last fight one last unlicensed fight to basically get back his sense of self-worth 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 uh, self-worth and basically give him the money he needs to you know basically rebuild his life we have a clip of michael smiley and jimmy Mc and jimmy cave slash johnny harris having something of a disagreement i'm looking to fight again just a one-off i don't care who they put me in with <laughs> They've got this kid. He's dangerous. Are you fighting unlicensed? Whatever happens up there, you are on your own. If you want to get yourself smashed to bits, that's your choice. But I promised Bill I was going to get you ready for this fight. And I'm going to honour that. So you can hear from everyone in that clip. You can hear Ian McShane. You can hear Ray Winston. You can hear Michael Smiley. Right, OK, so Johnny Harris... Brilliant in this movie. Absolutely brilliant. And obviously, it's his material. So he's kind of not really got much of an excuse. Yeah, he should know it. He should know it, really, yeah. Um, you've got... Um, basically, you've got great support from Ray Winston, who's actually managing to do something for a change beyond just hamming it up. Oh, just being Ray Winston. Just being Ray Winston. That whole typecasting. There is an element to it, but there's a soulfulness to this character that I thought actually makes something of a change for Ray Winston. 
very much enjoyed. Ian McShane, you know, having some fun being Ian McShane. He's taken that job over from Ray Winston, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Ray Winston gets to stop being Ray Winston, but Ian McShane gets to be Ian McShane. That's fair enough, though, because he's Ian McShane. He's, it's fair enough, he's Ian McShane, man. Love Joy, let him do what he wants. Um, you know, that's how, how this works, man. Don't worry about Game of Thrones, don't worry about Deadwood. And he's Love Joy, man. Just, just let him ride. And then, of course, you've got Michael Smiley, who is always reliable and this last sort of 10 years now Michael Smiley has emerged as this wonderful character actor who you can put in anything and he will just be the emotional anchor and he is here as well there is just just that moment in which he and Johnny Harris come to blows have their big verbal smackdown as it were and it's absolutely absolutely owns the screen it's so powerful so brilliant um it's directed by uh thomas napper who i'm not terribly familiar with his work i think he comes from mostly tv background but really gets the grit and intensity of this film so in a day and age where you like you you like me you, you kind of seen all the mockney gangster films you ever want to see yeah yeah and they all look the same they, they all look like sub eastenders spin-offs you know what I mean? And because they usually start at least one EastEnders actor, that's usually yeah, easy. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Or someone just doing an awful accent where you're like, you should be an EastEnders. Yeah, yeah, exactly like that. And then Dai Dyer turns up for his little cameo and everyone goes, I'm a winner. You know? <laughs> but rather than do that, what he's doing is he's found a way to make the grit, to make the intensity and make the atmosphere work. This actually does feel like a film set in London. It doesn't feel like it's just a Motney film and it's just set in the old way. This works in that sense. It's also got this wonderful score by Paul Weller, of all people. So really? Paul, Paul Weller has composed the actual score for the film, and it's really, really good. Well, of course it is. Paul Weller's done it. <laughs> no, because there's a rumour today that he's angling for the new Bond theme. He and he and Noel Gallagher are angling for the new Bond theme. You like, fit them. Well, wouldn't the film be better off having a script before a song? No, just you know. No, if no. you if you give if you give a film a song before a script, that's how you wind up with Quantum of Solace. Oh, and yeah. and yeah, no one needs that again. Oh, awkward. Or you know what was the last god awful one? Spectre. Yeah, with, with where they had that song where all the lyrics just sounded like a suicide note. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm still convinced if you took that Sam Smith song and you wrote the lyrics down a piece of paper and put it next to any murder victim, the police investigating would assume it was a suicide. I'm telling you now. So grim. <laughs> it really was. Ruined the film. For ruined, ruined Spectre for you forever. <laughs> that, that joyous romantic comedy that was Spectre. <laughs> but uh, no, this is really something. You know, the, do you remember 100 Foot Journey? A film a couple of years ago, the Helen Mirren catering movie. Yes. As it were. Well, I remember your review. Well, there was um, there was a moment in that when which Helen Mirren's character trained, she susses out the, the capabilities of new chefs right. by making them make an omelette. And I feel like for filmmakers, the equivalent is make an underdog boxing movie. You know, because anyone can make an omelette, and anyone can have seemingly make an underdog boxing movie. There's so many of them. There's, yeah, that's Yeah, true. there's so many of them. And they can't all star Kevin James. So, you know, occasionally one has to be really, really good. And this is it. This is the really, really good one. We had Bleed for this last year. Yeah. with Mar- That was awful. <laughs> this is way, way more like it. And, yeah, Johnny Harris. Absolutely brilliant in it. Really good writer. His script has real depth. I'm a fan. Oh. It's Rocky meets I, Daniel Blake, and that's awesome. Sounds so, fantastic. Yeah, see it. You'll love. You'll love it. You you will love it. Um, well, I'm already excited. I don't have to wait to listen to them be excited. So yeah, so let's let's stay with the uh, you know great musicians doing scores for a second. Okay. You know, there's a remake of Suspiria coming out, the classic horror movie, um, and Tom York from Radiohead is going to do the score for it. Really, this is apparently a thing. It's going to star Chloe Moretz for better or worse, but Tom York. We'll say better. We'll say yeah, better. Tom York is going to do the score. 
That so, does sound pretty good. That does sound pretty good, doesn't it's got it? Skills. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Guys got skills, as you say. Definitely. <laughs> so uh, another review to take us to the bridge. Then uh, Tomcats. Oh, brace yourself for this one. Right. So this is called Cater. In, in its in its native Austrian tongue. Right. It is directed by Klaus Handel, or Handel Klaus, I forget which way around it is. Uh, writer-director who has written this tale, and we don't have a clip because it's all in Austrian. Okay. Right. This is the story of a bohemian, a, a gay bohemian couple. They're, they're very liberal. They're very living the artisanal life, you know. they uh, they Everything's organic, nice. as it were. <laughs> I like this. One's in an orchestra, the other one's, I think, a writer. Oh, they they spend their all their free time hanging out with their large circle of friends. Occasionally, when the when the night's taking a bit of a boring turn, they have an orgy to pep, pep things up. Well, you and know, as as you do. And at the centre of it all, they have this cat that they love and adore. And uh, one day, whilst having a a, a, a very naked breakfast, um, oh. one of the couple inexplicably and completely out of the blue, whilst patting the cat, snaps its neck. And, yeah, your reaction is is, is intentional. Yes, that is exactly how it happens. It, there's no setup for it. The, he's sitting there, he's, he's petting the cat, and then he just breaks its neck. And wow. what then follows in the wake of this sudden onset of just innate human violence is the absolute implosion of this couple's world. So they, they you know, they can't trust one another. They're, af- they're afraid of what each other are capable of. And, yeah, it's... It's really dark and it's really twisted, and but at the same time, it's all it, it lives up to the sort of the lifestyle that this couple lead, which is this you know sunlit, you know veranda set, you know sunny life. So it all looks like that as well. So you're talking about really really horrible things, but in glorious sunshine <laughs> and in in wonderful contrast, and everything looks whimsical and dreamlike. But we are talking about really really horrible things. Yeah. And I, I realise that at this table, obviously, I'm the dog owner, you're the cat owner. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, really, really good. Really well acted, however, comes with a serious drawback, which is, it's... Well, you, ever, you, ever, you ever seen the inside of an aero bar? Yeah. Where it looks like a solid block of chocolate, then you look inside and there's just these big pockets of air. Oh, uh, yeah. The, this film's kind of like that. It clocks in at two hours. Wow. And you're thinking, if this were 90 minutes, it would have been great. But you've got half an hour of pretty much stares. You know, like the Honest Trailer thing, where it's just like people staring at each other and pondering. And there's a lot of meanness. There is, like I say about, you know, they have orgies to pep things up. The film literally does that. The film, once it reaches a point where they have nothing to do, just has an orgy. And, okay, fair enough. And it does feel like there's time in there's a lot of occasions within the film in which they just resorted to padding. Yeah, you're like just go for it and give us a ninety minute. I'd, I'd be happy with that. There's a punchy enough film at the centre of this that would hold your interest because yeah. the concept I've just given you sounds interesting enough. Doesn't yeah, it? you'd watch that movie. Well, you probably wouldn't. No, case, I would. But. I was I was like I was sat here hoping that you were saying it was going to be good because if it was awful and that subject, I was like, <laughs> well, why has that ever been made? <laughs> it, yeah, it is. It is a film that actually needs to have the idea of animal violence in it in a strange way. It's not like the beginning of High Rise when Tom Hiddleston's just eating a dog, you know, just casually munching on a charred dog leg. It's it's you know something that's actually integral to the plot, but uh, yeah, really, really well staged. Yeah. Just not terribly well written. It, it's it's overwritten as it were. There's too much padding in it yeah. that you feel like if you'd taken on if you 
taken on someone to do a second draft of your own screenplay and just whittle it down for you, yeah, yeah. then maybe this would be something a lot more impressive than it is. As it is, it's not a film you're going to forget having watched. Well, yeah. That's... I mean, you will watch it, going to work the next day, be still at the water cooler, and when you talk about your night night before, oh, I watched a film which two, two gay dudes, uh, you know, their world collapsed because one of them snapped a cat's neck. And that's not something you see every day. That, it, how... how... How did you like? How does someone write that? Like, I I don't know. My uncle always had this theory about how did the, how did the first guy come up with the idea for Saw, and oh, right, yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's your right. <laughs> but uh, right, let's come back then with the box office top five. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. And so we're back, my wingman. So. Where should we go next? Box office top five? Yeah. Number five. Bonjour. 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 Beauty and the Beast. Did you enjoy that, did you, Johnny boy? Taken a little bit by surprise. (laughs) Beauty and the Beast. You've not seen it. Your missus is a big fan, I believe. Yeah. Well, actually, no. Her family are. Oh, her family are big fans. Was she not a big fan? No, Kel likes the original, and then she wasn't as impressed with it. Oh, that intrigues me, because obviously you have Beauty and the Beast merchandise throughout your house. Yeah, yeah. So you have a full-size replica. Like a Lumiere, Lumiere, don't you? We do. Well, yeah. it's a little bit broken because we've also got two cats. But, uh, but yeah, it's um, she wasn't as impressed. Ah, fair enough. I, I did run into your uh, your would be father in law actually at the last screening. I saw him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I could actually hear him singing from the uh, waiting area outside. Oh, God. But uh, right, so no, Beauty and the Beast. I liked it very much. Um, I don't think it's going to be to everyone's taste because it's it's basically just a shot for shot remake of the animated version with a few minor deviations. But I don't think that's a particularly bad thing. Well, that's how for me they should have done the Jungle Book instead. The, oh, you've got a real thing about yeah, the Jungle they ruined Book. my childhood. That's why I'm a, I've got a thing. Right, don't 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 be like that. Episode one ruined my childhood. <laughs> Jungle Book did not ruin your childhood. <laughs> God. <laughs> Just wait for Aladdin, and then we can mourn together. Yeah, that will ruin. That will, I'm sure we can all pine over Aladdin when Guy Ritchie gets around to doing that one. But yeah. uh, anyway, because apparently he's not doing well with the current one. But uh, King Arthur is not not getting great reviews. All ah, right. But uh, yeah. Anyway, so no. Um, but I like Emma Watson. I like uh, Luke Evans and Josh Gad as Gaston and, and LeFou. I think they're great. That does sound like perfect yeah, casting. Yeah, they are great casting. Yeah. I actually think Luke Evans almost makes Gaston too likeable. Oh. You know, it's a bit problematic. And Dan Stevens, great, despite the fact that the effects they use to make him the Beast are terrible. <laughs> great until he's the Beast. Great, great until he's terrible, because the effects <laughs> just aren't very good. Number four. Cookies are for closers. Boss baby. Right, do you get that gag out of just the cookies of closers thing? Um, is it from... Glengarry Glen Ross. It's, uh, it's, 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 it's a reference to coffee is for closers from Glengarry Glen Ross. Right. Uh, which, is, which was Alec Baldwin, who gave that speech in 1988, I want to say. Yeah. 88, 89. Um, but... That's the thing. This film works if you're a fan of Alec Baldwin. If you're not particularly a fan of Alec Baldwin, the only way you're going to enjoy The Boss Baby is if you're five. All right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, so you either have to be five or a big fan of Alec Baldwin. Or both. You know, there could be five-year-olds out there who just really dig Jack Donaghy. It could happen. <laughs> you know? Sure, there's some five-year-olds out there saying, it's after five, what am I, a farmer? Yeah. You know? <laughs> but uh, that's the thing um 
it's a film of two halves. The first half where it's, you know, the older brother and the new baby yeah. and they're having a bit of rivalry in the house. I love that. And the idea that it's Alec Baldwin as a baby in a suit who's playing it as an adult. I love that. That is a film and a half. Yeah. But the second half, where it goes and does Toy Story slash Secret Life of Pets slash every other animated film ever, yeah. and it just becomes, now we shall go on a mission away from the house and the entire world will be at stake and there will be a big action set finale in which there'll be a MacGuffin and one of us shall have to get the MacGuffin and there'll be some sort of emotional sacrifice. and uh, Boring. You just stay in the house. And see, be- see, you know, stay, yeah, stay in the house, baby. And <laughs> just you know, make this work. You know, <laughs> That's what I mean. Character arcs are for closers. And now that's it. But, uh, you know, like I say, if you're a fan of Alec Baldwin, you'll enjoy it. If you're five, you'll also enjoy it. If you're five and a fan of Alec Baldwin, you're going to love this. Number three. I don't have friends. I got family. Fast and Furious 8, that guy's voice. Oh, he really is. It's incredible. I actually rewatched Triple uh, X, The Return of Xander Cage the other day. Why? And uh, I, I wanted to know if it got any better. Actually, it does get better on a home release. I disagree. I can give you that, but uh, <laughs> rubbish in the cinema. <laughs> but, uh, right. I think this is as good as Fast 6. I don't think it's a patch on 5 or 7. You and I saw Fast 5 together, didn't we, we did, years yeah, ago? In fact, did. didn't we see 6 together as well? Yes. Yeah. We did. But, we did. Uh, yeah, because it was one of our bonding moments. <laughs> you didn't tell me to see this one, though, did you? I, well, <laughs> we had a bit of boys now at night, and you were at the other end of the country. But... Uh, <clears throat> This is ludicrous, even by the standards of the Fast and Furious series. This is—is uh, is it even about cars anymore? There are cars in it. Oh wow! There, 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 there are things in the shape of cars, <laughs> and I think if you if you mix around the letters in Ludicrous's name, you can spell car. Do they have cars in the background while they're talking about being like actual gangsters? I think I think that's actually it. Um, but that's it. You know what? If you've made it through seven of these already. Odds are you're going to like this. Yeah, you're in for the yeah for the run. Who who's coming to a series eight films in and being like, oh, actually, I don't think I really particularly enjoy this series. You're like, okay, you know what I mean? If you've made it to number eight, then I think you know what to expect. I don't think it's as good as Fast Five or Furious Seven, but I do think it's as good as Fast and Furious Six. Yeah. So we are swings and roundabouts. Yeah, number two. <laughs> Just a bark. That really took me by surprise. Uh, a dog's purpose. That actually is the Dog Wolf logo. Oh. That's the ident from Dog Wolf. That's from the beginning of Lo and Behold, Reveries of the Connected World by Werner Herzog. Oh. So I took that off the Blu-ray. I like it. The truth. I was expecting so much more, not just a quick bark uh, and done. But also editing, that got me in trouble with my dog. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, so, uh, right, A Dog's Purpose, which is utter, utter bilge. This oh. is just... A vomit-inducing level of toxic saccharin, you know, just saccharin toxicity. Is there someone at the front holding a sign that says "Cry now"? You know what? Actually, funny you say that because you will cry at this film, even if you hate the hell out of it. I nearly cried at the cat neck snapping story that you told a minute ago. <laughs> Don't watch the film, whatever you do. Um, but you will cry at this film because, even if you hate it, you'll cry because it's it's so well made oh, right. that it's like mechanically engineered. You have no choice. Yeah, it's like someone actually tickling you. You can be in the worst mood imaginable. If someone's tickling you, you will laugh. Yeah. This is exactly the same idea. This is someone tickling you when you want to be angry. Did you come home and cuddle your dog? I, I, well, yeah, I really did. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, no, the thing is, it is just the worst kind of Nicholas Spark style pseudo lifetime movie twaddle. It is awful, and yet, and yet, it's so well made. It 
got such great visuals and such a wonderful score, you kind of hate yourself for not hating it. All right. And you will cry a couple times. Manly, big crocodile manly tears. <laughs> and I hate it even more for that, if I'm honest. Yes. That, that just makes me hate it more. Fair but enough. I guarantee you, though, because it's so middle of the road, I yeah. guarantee you if I showed it to my mum, she'd think it was amazing. All oh, right. Oh, so, you, you know what I mean? If you showed it to your mum, my mum, mums, mums are going to love it. Just just mums. Just mums. Anyone's mums. Mums and grandmums, <laughs> they're going to absolutely lap it up. Number one. Oh, yeah. Guardians of the Galaxy, volume two. No, you saw this, didn't you? Yeah, I did. This film's so good. You enjoyed the hell out of yeah, it. Yeah, I loved it. Right. Okay, well, this is the thing. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, th- there's a bit of discussion about whether or not it's better than the first one. I don't think it's worth even having the discussion, to it's, be honest. Yeah, it yeah. either is or it isn't. That's personal preference. It's just more goodness. Yeah, it's personal preference. It is volume two. It yeah. literally lives up to its title. It's, yeah. just, it's just another volume. And I really like it. I really like the energy, and I really like the characters, and I really like the idea of Clint, of, of Clint Eastwood, Kurt Russell and, and Sylvester Stallone being in a Marvel movie, which yeah. is amazing to me. <laughs> Sly turned up. I was like, Sly? <laughs> what? what, what, what? <laughs> because they introduced him by his voice for like five yeah. seconds. Like, that sounds an awful lot like. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then, of course, Michael Rucker, who more or less gets to walk away with the film. Yeah, he really does. Really does. And despite the fact that his character does get a level of depth the first film never afforded him, and yet it even retroactively makes his role in the first film even better. Yeah, it really does. And Sean Gunn, the, his, his henchman, a little bit to do as well, really liked that. I think Bradley Cooper gets one of his more more amusing roles, because yeah. I can't stand him in comedies, as Rocket <laughs> Raccoon. And Baby Groot, who doesn't love Baby Groot? You can't not. You can't not. Yeah. Yeah. Baby Groot is just awesome. It is It is a film made for IMAX 3D, though. It really is. It, really it is really a film is. that just owns that screen. Yeah. You can see it on the biggest loudest screen you can yeah as many snacks as you can hold like it's a proper see it in the cinema it really is isn't it and i think that they're missing from from like films these days you don't get enough where you you really have to go see it in the cinema and then this comes along big loud hilarious action filled it's great it's very, it's actually very true. They don't quite make the spectacle they should anymore. Exactly. You like one or two big tentpole movies a year, yeah, and they almost always come from Disney. Yeah, but, well, uh, yeah. But yeah. What Disney but this is. is very much a bums on cinema seats, please. Yeah, it really sort is. of an affair, and deservedly so. I can't wait for the third one. Yeah, it's going to be great. So, uh, quick bit of film news regarding Guardians of the Galaxy before we move on. Mm-hmm. Um, Elizabeth Debicki, who plays the Queen of the Sovereign. In, in Guardians 2, the yeah. Gold Woman. The Gold Woman. She'll was, just be known. Was, gold Woman. I was literally going to go, the, the Gold People? The Gold People. Yes, the Gold People. <laughs> and they're not douchebags at all. <laughs> but she is apparently going to be returning for the, the sequel, um, which she kind of needs to, given the events of one of the end credit scenes, yeah. because it kind of sets up that she's kind of important. Yeah. But, yeah, so we've got that to look forward to. Uh, oh, there's also a hint that we're going to get it in 2020. Apparently, which is three years from now, so believable. Yeah, that's. Uh, that would put it as the beginning of Marvel's Phase Four. Oh. So yeah, that'll also be the first Guardians post Avengers movie. Will it be the way that they kick off Phase Four? Because I don't know. Seems to have got enough sort of traction from the first two to. Well, Civil War kicked off Phase Three, didn't it? Mm. So that could be an interesting one. Uh, that was a threequel that kicked off. Uh, in fact. Uh, Iron Man 3 kicked off Phase 2, so maybe that's the thing. Three calls have to kick off the new instalments. Ah, right, yeah. Ah, could be a clever one. Like detectives here. 
It could be. Could be that Ant-Man 3 will kick off Phase 5. We don't know. <laughs> that, that's what. That's just part of the mystery. So let me talk about France real quick then, um, which is uh, this is from Francois Ozon, uh, French New Wave writer-director. This is set in post-World War One Germany. It is a black-and-white film. It is, a ba- it is about a, a young woman in a German village who one day is visited by a Frenchman. As one does, as one is, one is visited by a Frenchman who tells her he was a friend of her late fiancé who was killed in the war. They were friends in Paris before the war and they start to form a friendship based on based on their mutual relationship with France, the, the, the deceased and also the title character. Uh, however, of course, this is post-World War I Germany. So yes. they're not particularly fond of the French. Not big fans. As, as one would, no, not likely be. Uh, not big fans of the French. And uh, so they sort of shun him. They, they're very xenophobic towards him. And the friendship and the relationship that starts to build between these two starts to put her in an awkward position as regards, you know, living in this small town. It gets her sort of ostracised, as it were. But also, there's something slightly more to this man and his relationship with the deceased. What could it be? (laughs) And, uh, right, okay, so... This is really something, actually. This this is genuinely impressive. So, first, let's say the film is in black and white. Yeah. It is one of the most fascinating uses of colour I've seen in the movie for a long time. So, um, the film, I've got, Pascal Marty, I believe, is the cinematographer on this. Uh, Pascal Marty, uh, cinematographer on this. And what you've got is Francois Ozon and Pascal Marty have come up with a way to use the black and white, this classically toned, almost softened black and white visual palette. And what they do is, whenever they have a flashback or a dream sequence or or a moment of genuine emotion... They don't so much add colour to it. What they do is they just they up the gauge slightly. They just push the colour level up just a little bit. Oh. So it looks like this classically faded 1930s almost sort of a colourised film. And it's really something. Oh. It's really, really something. You then got this this musical leitmotif that runs all the way through. It's Philip Romby's uh, leitmotif all the way through, which is based on Ode to Joy. Based, uh, Beethoven's Ode to Joy. And because it's a piano uh, theme to the, to the story as well, like a thematic use of piano. And, yeah, really, really something. And then in the middle of it all, you've got, I'm trying to remember, Paula Beer. <laughs> Paula Beer is the, the actress in the lead. Uh, and Pierre Niney. And... To look at him, you immediately think Adrian Brody. All right, yeah. He has something of that almost weirdly classical European 1950s movie star sort of a look to him. You know, angular features, pointy nose, pencil moustache, you know, looks good in a fitted white tux sort of a thing. Um, But, yeah, the pair of them, absolutely brilliant. Genuinely great performances. Um, I knew her before from other things. I did not know uh, Pierre Niney at all. Um, Although now... I will. Now I'll, I'll look for him in things and I'll be thinking, hey, it's, it's that guy who's Adrian Brody, but better <laughs> in this really, really intriguing movie that, to be honest with you, the performances are so good and the writing is so good that Francois Ozon, in directing it, can pretty much afford to, you know, just, just put his feet up and just point the camera and, you know, let it, let it be done, you know. Yeah, just let it do its thing. But he chooses to just, you know what, in for a penny, in for a pound, I'll make something <laughs> genuinely interesting. So he's gone and he's shot the hell out of this. No. And it looks amazing as a result. Um, it's a Curzon movie as well, so you have to go to a Curzon cinema to see it, but... Uh, there's, there's enough of those now, yeah. I believe. There's, there's a Curzon on every street corner, I believe, now. We, we have one. We, we have one in Sheffield, yeah. 
But, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, genuine history. I really liked France. It's a good week for films this week. Yeah, it really is. It really is a good week for films. In fact, there is one film that isn't great this week, and we're going to review that next. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. It's nice to know that everyone dances to that, that I don't, John. Yeah, I'm usually in my car, though, so um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put my hands forward. There's no steering wheel in front of me. Do you, do you just bop off the steering wheel to it? Yeah, I drum to the beginning of the show as well. I've got, I've, yeah. It's, fair enough, it's fair not, enough. Not tell people that we <laughs> No, let's, do let's not do that at all. <laughs> uh, right, so I'm going to the, the film news this week. You know what every week needs now? A new Liam Neeson movie. All right. So I've got I've got one for you, and it's a remake of a of a Spanish thriller. Honestly, I thought you were going to say of an old Liam Neeson movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all need we'd be better off with the old ones, admittedly. Right, so he's going to star in this one, Retribution. It is called the R titles. Oh, he loves his R titles. Um, the basic plot is he is a Wall Street bigwig right. who is driving on his way to work one day with his family in the car, only to then discover dun 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 there is a bomb in the car. Oh wow! And he is at the mercy of the bomb. Bomber's whims. If he does not obey the bomber, with his family in the car, bear in mind, the bomber will unleash the detonation. And yeah, so this and this is going to be from the producers of Unknown, Nonstop, and I think it's the Commuter that his new one is. But uh, so it's Speed, then, yeah. <laughs> it's basically going to be Speed in a car. <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounds more like Grand Theft Auto, actually. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like the, one, of the, one of the original stories for Grand Theft Auto. But uh, okay, so let's talk about the one film this week that's not great. Okay, which I'm sorry to have to break this one to you, but it's Alien Covenant. Oh, and uh, so this is an, a prequel to the Alien Quadrilogy, or Alien Anthology, as we're apparently calling it now. But Quadrilogy is such a good word. I know, and it's a sequel to Prometheus. Which means if there's more than one, is that not Promethei? Do we have Promethei now? Is that what it is? <laughs> you call it that. So this takes place ten years after Prometheus, right? Um, in which um, there is a colony ship on its way to uh, an unknown planet. I think I think they call it Paradise, the planet they're going to. Um, and basically, you've got a crew who are in hypersleep, like a core crew, and they're made up of, for instance, Demian Bashir, Billy Crudup, Catherine Waterston. There is a Michael Fassbender android aboard. Oh, right. Uh, the film literally opens with actually one of the Michael Fassbender androids being brought to life and programmed, right. and then jumps to this. Um, basically, you've got the core crew on this ship, on the Covenant, as it's called. There are then 2,000 people, 2,000 colonists in stasis, who are also in cryosleep, and there is a whole series of drawers made up of human embryos. So the idea is, you've got adult humans who are going to live on this colony. Yeah, They're all couples, by the way, even the crew. Right, And then you've got embryos to be gestated as well so there is a younger generation however there is a neutrino burst from a nearby solar flare that affects the ship that knocks the crew out of hypersleep that kills the captain which is a near wordless cameo from james franco because that's apparently what his career has amounted to now um and Billy Crudup is forced to step in. He's the second in command. He steps in as the captain. James Franco's uh, uh, girlfriend, meanwhile, is is left behind. She is the kind of the new second officer. She's Catherine Waterston. Right. Um, the captain and Catherine Waterston discover that there is a, a previously unknown planet in their path that's actually closer than the one they're headed to. The one they're headed to is seven years away. This one is like a couple of days. Right. And uh, this one is also capable of sustaining life. So it's a case of let's go and check this out and 
and see if this will make a, 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 an equally suitable colony, okay. and if we can skip having to go back into hypersleep with all these dodgy systems that may or may not kill us. Yeah. Now, it's worth noting, we don't have any clips for this. Right. There is exactly one clip. It is 21 seconds long. It is mostly an action sequence. Oh. All the promotional material for this film is specially recorded footage. It is prequel stuff. It is messages from the crew back to home and things like that. There's no footage from the film out there. So you would think, wow, that's a really mysterious film. There must be a lot going for this, eh? What, are yeah. they, what, what have they got in there, King Kong? You know, it's, it's one of those things. <laughs> and, and then you see the film. And, wow, okay. So, first of all, Ridley Scott is back. Ridley Scott, who, you know, directed Alien, and then didn't do one of these at all until, was it 2012, when he came back to do Prometheus. And the whole thing was, the prodigal son has returned. The man who gave us his franchise in the first place has returned. The Godfather is back. Yeah. So, given that there were three other Alien films (laughs) between, you know, his first and his last, it's really, really weird, then, that Ridley Scott would then come back to direct one in this case, Covenant, that is made up almost entirely out of bits of the other three. Oh, no. And it's really, really odd. I mean, at one point, he's, there's dialogue lifted wholesale from Alien Resurrection, of all things. Why? And you're thinking, why? No one needs to be reminded of Alien Resurrection. <laughs> Literally, I watched it last night. I just, I, I rewatched it. I thought, no, no one needs to be reminded of this film. Dan Hadaya in space, no one cares. Other than having Ron Perlman in it, which is, you know, a waste. He deserved a better Alien movie. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, the, the there are a couple of interesting things in there. So, you've got the new method of alien infection, which is actually really, really cool. I right. don't want to go into spoilers about it. But it is lifted from an early version of Alien 3. Right. Which they didn't wind up making when they were going to do a whole Cold War in space thing before Vincent Ward wanted to make In the Name of the Rose in space. And, uh Yeah. I mean, Alien 3, I think, is a vastly, vastly underrated film. I think Alien 3 is the last good Alien movie. Right. And I'm including Prometheus in that, by the way, because this film has now decided, officially, Prometheus is an Alien movie. Right. Oh, right. right. So that, that's... Prometheus answer. is now officially an Alien yeah, movie. Not just in the universe. I or... would expect that to be reissued now as Alien colon Prometheus. Right. Yeah. I, I genuinely will expect that. Uh, so there's the, an interesting idea, which is the new Alien Infection thing. There is the idea that the, the, the crew are all couples. Yeah. That's actually really something. And there's a whole, there's a moment in which it's brought up that, uh, for Billy Quillop's character, in which they say, listen, um, Tread lightly, because they are your crew, but you need to remember these people are going to be your neighbours. And you think, oh, actually, that's really interesting. Yeah. So you can't just turn around and lamp one of them if they get a bit threatening with you, because you are going to have to borrow milk from that guy one day. You know what I mean? He will want to borrow your lawnmower eventually. You know what I mean? And it's a really interesting idea. There's also some uh, certain religious ideas. So Billy Crudup's character, for instance, is a man of faith. Right. And this apparently has him ostracised. Like, they look down on him because of this. Because, obviously, it's a sci-fi future. They firmly believe in science. Yeah. We're told about it. We're never a spaceship. Exactly. We're told about it. We're never shown it. The stuff where it falls apart, though, is when it just feels the need to rehash previous Alien movies. When it then decides, eh, screw it, we're just going to be a Prometheus sequel. Regardless yeah. of whether or not that makes any sense, they have now watered down the origin of the Alien series to what can only be described as just apocryphal nonsense. And you come away from it all thinking, I didn't hate it, 
but it does feel completely unnecessary, and it feels like a movie that's just running in circles at this point. It feels like a greatest hits movie in the way that X-Men Apocalypse did. Yeah. You don't hate X-Men Apocalypse, but everything that's in it, you've seen in that series before. Yeah, yeah, you have. Yeah, you're right. And this feels exactly the same. I, I wasn't particularly taken in by it. I mean, it looks great because it's a Ridley Scott movie. I was going to say, is it... Yeah, it looks great. Yeah, see it, see it on an IMAX screen, by all means. Yeah. Enjoy the score. Enjoy the booming sound design. Enjoy... Ridley Scott and his masterful use of the frame because he's always had that. Yeah, but frankly, I just sat there watching it thinking, "Good God, I hope Blade Runner Two is better than this." <laughs> but so it, it, it sounds like all of the all of the new ideas seem to work. But the new ideas are re- they're, they're really minor and they are dropped as much as quickly as they're picked oh, up. Oh, right, right. And then we just go to, right, now we're just going to do the other one. I was clutching at straws then. Y- you're a bit. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Sorry, man. Okay. I hate to break it to you. Yeah. I know you want it to be good. I did want it to be good. I know you do. But I don't want that. Prometheus wasn't, and I was quite I know. upset by that. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. By default, this is better than Prometheus, because at least it makes sense. <laughs> It's got an A to B to C narrative oh, that right. automatically makes it better than Prometheus. It really does. It really does. <laughs> if you need to turn on the director's commentary for the film to make sense, that's a bad film. <laughs> right? That film has failed in doing its job if you have to have it explained to you. It's like when your dad explains his jokes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're like, yeah, that joke didn't work there, Dad. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it is not our film of the week, I'm afraid. All oh, right. Uh, film of the week, I'm going to give gleefully to Jawbone, nice. which I thought was, I just, I really thought it was tremendous. I can't wait to see it again. I've already seen it twice. Uh-huh. I mean, I, I really genuinely am looking forward to seeing it again. I, I just, I thought it was great. Johnny Harris, genuine talent to behold. So next week, a couple of biggies next week. Next week, we've got uh, Guy Ritchie doing King Arthur, yo. Yeah. Because, you know, that's what we need from King Arthur. Mockney accents, David Beckham and Jude Law. Yeah, that's... Have you, have you ever thought that? When you say, oh, Sword in the Stone, yeah, that needs some David Beckham and Jude Law. That's exactly what I think. Yeah, exactly, I think of all films. Uh, we've got McLaren next week, we've got the documentary Machines, we've got Inversion, uh, we've got a Colossal next week. Do you know about that one? No, I'm a bit rubbish at the minute. Anne Hathaway gets drunk and can control a kaiju. That, that's the movie. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, me too. And, of course, Snatched, in which uh, Goldie Horn and Amy Schumer team up for a girls' comedy. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. really going to fill you with excitement, because you're not an Amy Schumer fan, are you? No. But, uh, <laughs> yep, so we've got all those to come and more next week off screen. And, uh, well, that's it from us for now. I've been Van Connor. I've been John Coulson. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras. You're looking forward to this, aren't you? <laughs> very, very much. <laughs> so this is our uh, this is our uh, shooting the blanks section. This is our uh, our little uh, chit chat area. We will do a review. I'll, I'll do the review of the leveling. Oh, so we have to do serious things in the fun times. Yeah, there's a serious thing we have to ask serious thing. <laughs> a serious thing. Uh, well, do some film news as well. Uh, do you know? Do you know the actor Cliff Curtis? No, I'm right. never. I'm gonna show you a picture. I'll show you a picture. You might know him. You know that guy? Yes, I do. You, you'll know him from Fear the Walking Dead. He's in, I think, uh, Training Day as well. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's joined Avatar two, three, four, and five. What about nine, ten, eleven, and forty-two? Uh, well, they've not been given release dates yet, uh, so. I think it's 2020, it's 2020, 2021, uh, 2024 and 25. 
<laughs> for the four Avatar sequels. Anyway, he is going to play Cliff Curtis, from who's, I think, one of the leads in Fear the Walking Dead, which is a series I never got on with. Um, he is going to be the leader of a, a reef clan, a water-based people on Pandora. Oh, because it's underwater. And They're going to do underwater stuff yeah. now, because it's James Cameron. And James Cameron, just everything with James Cameron is underwater. I don't know what it is with that guy. It's like DC and Darken in the Rain. Well, yeah. I really but... need to get over that, don't I? <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I watched the trailer of Wonder Woman and I'm like, oh, look, there's nighttime stuff and some rain. <laughs> you know? when, we, when we were in the cinema, I went over to Kel and I went, gosh, it's raining again. <laughs> <laughs> the weather in DC world is crap, isn't it? <laughs> Imagine that being a, being a weatherman in in the DC universe. So, and today's forecast is rain, yeah. rain and darkness, guys. Did you rain see that one coming? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, Andy Weir, who wrote The Martian, who wrote the book, The Martian. Right. Yeah. Did you ever read the book for The Martian? No, I just watched the film. It's really good. The book. It's written in the first person. It's written from his perspective. Right, well, the film's brilliant. The so. film's brilliant. Uh, there's the extended director's cut of the film because it's a Ridley Scott movie. So you know, there's, yes. well, yeah. there's always about four hours left on the curtain floor. <laughs> there's another month of film. Yeah, there's a month of film. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, it fills in some plot holes. The director's cut. Oh, right. But uh, but anyway, the Andy Weir who. That was his first book, was The, was the Martian. And it's really, really good. Do you get to be that guy that says, oh, the book is so much better than the film? Well, no, not particularly. I think the film's great. Right, cool, I think the right. film's absolutely great. Um, but his second novel, which isn't even out yet, it's called Artemis. Uh, Fox have bought the rights to that, and they're going to be making a film out of it. Because, you know, they did pretty well out of The Martian. You know, including yeah. its, uh, it, its uh, you know, is it Emmy or Golden Globe win for uh, Best Musical or Comedy? Because, ah. you know, yeah. yeah really? Well, yeah, that, that's that's how you give a film an award without actually giving it an award. <laughs> best film called The Martian. Best film called The Martian. It's like the best Eddie Redmayne performance. <laughs> the Eddie Redmayne Award for best Redmayne in Eddie Redmayne film. Uh, right, Russell Crowe is gonna, is looking to star in a movie with David Oyelowo. It's going to be called Ark of Justice. He's going to be based, uh, based on a real uh, civil rights case from the 20s in Detroit. Ooh. So, could be interesting. Cool suits ahead. Cool suits ahead, indeed. As long as it's not like Live by Night with the ridiculously oversized ones. All oh, right, yeah. Where it just looked like Ben Affleck was uncomfortable the whole time. <laughs> you mean Batman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. Right, you know, if you are Ben Affleck, right, yeah. every time someone asks you a question, how do you resist the urge to respond with, because I'm Batman. Well, yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, just I, be I mean, your answer. I, I say it. I'm not, I've never been Batman. Yeah. <laughs> it just would be your answer, though, wouldn't <laughs> yeah. it? It's like, uh, why, why did you give the kids ice cream after seven? Because I'm Batman. <laughs> you know, it's one of those kind of things, wouldn't it? <laughs> it's like, Ben, why have we all got new iPhones? Because I'm Batman. <laughs> uh, right, okay, here's one you'll like. Okay, Jesse Eisenberg yes. and Alexander Skarsgård. I'm in. Okay, you're in. See, it's a good idea, isn't it? They're going to star in a movie. It's called The Hummingbird Project. Ooh. It is going to be... This is a tech drama, tech thriller. Oh, so it's not about the bakeries. It's not about bakeries. It is not a sequel to the Jason Statham homeless thriller. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is... It's called... That's it. In, in, the, in the US, that film has a different title. It's called Redemption. It's called Stath. It's called... <laughs> it's called Jason Statham, homeless man. But, yeah. <laughs> so they can start in The Hummingbird Project. They are going to be... Uh, they're high-frequency traders. You know those guys who just... They... They celebrate victories in, in fractions of a second, and they try. Apparently, they try to pursue their dream of building a fiber optic cable between Kansas and New York that will make them millions and make them legends. Right, and they have to fend off their old, like bitter, vengeful boss. Okay, so could be Jesse Eisenberg doing a tech drama. Who'd have thunk? Who, who'd have thunk it? Indeed. I mean, he's never done that before. I mean, how how could that possibly turn out? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but did you see the Fifty Shades Darker Honest trailer this week? Uh, no, I've like I just no, no. It was so good. It was better than the film. But well, of course, it was. it's like, not not saying much. This short conversation about the trailer was better than the film. <laughs> <laughs> I I would go with that. I would absolutely go with that. A lot of things are better than watching Fifty Shades Darker. <clears throat> right, there is a Johnny Depp movie coming that I'm very excited about. And what, I can't remember. I can't. Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it, to hear, to hear that out loud? Yeah. I'm excited about a Joy Depp movie. I can't remember the last time that happened. That's. Whew, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years ago, I was excited about a Joy Depp movie. Back when he looked like Johnny Depp. Back when he looked like Joy Depp and not like the guy who ate Johnny Depp. <laughs> but. <laughs> But uh, do you remember when Joey Depp was there? Was that act every time someone said, "Oh, Joey Depp in," and you're like, "I'm, I'm sold, I'm sold." Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm in. <laughs> I remember, like pre before the first Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, movie. The first one was good. No, but the thing is, no one cared in the run up to <laughs> in the run up to the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. No one was excited about that movie. Yeah, that movie only made money really because of word of mouth. All right, yeah. But prior to that movie, Johnny Depp was that guy who you always knew the film was going to be good. Yeah, well, it's like it's Johnny Depp being in a film meant it was awesome. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, and then you know after Pirates One, all of a sudden all his movies suck. Yeah, and and then he did the thing where he's like, "Well, I make films for my kids." It's like, yeah, but they're already living a great life. Yeah, their dad's Johnny Depp. They're minted, mate. <laughs> make us a better film. Go and send a pistol and boo. Shut yeah. up. <laughs> Did Amber Heard take the dogs? I've always wondered this. Oh, no one cares about the dogs anymore. <laughs> I think the Australian government care about the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Barnaby Joyce cares about uh, those dogs. <laughs> I love that guy. Oh, man. Barnaby Joyce. That's so That's, angry. <laughs> he really, that man hated that llama. He really did. <laughs> right. Um, so Johnny Depp is going to star in a movie. It is called Richard Says Goodbye. Right. This is like, it's, it, it's such an obvious concept for a movie, but you sit there and think, actually, Johnny Depp could make this awesome. Ah. So, the general concept is you've got a middle aged college professor yeah. named Richard who gets, gets told he's dying. Right. And decides, because he's, you know, something of a masochist to say this, he's, rather than do the whole, I'm going to, you know, get treatment and blah, 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 and my life will be hell for the couple of years I have left, he decides he's just going to binge on everything. Oh, well, yeah. Binge on drink, drug, smoke, and sex, everything. Like when you were younger and that's what you said you'd do, like. Exactly. And just hurl abuse at people he dislikes. And basically, he has the time of his life. And the really funny part of this to me is this is from writer director Wayne Roberts, right? Right. Uh, Wayne Roberts, um, his 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 previous film, his his debut was called Katie Says Goodbye. This right. is called Richard Says Goodbye. So I'm wondering if this is going to be something of a trend. Yeah. And that that's kind of awesome to me. It's like um, who's the guy? Jeremy Solnier, who did Green Room. Right. right. He did Green Room after he did Blue Ruin. And I really wanted it, for the longest time, I wanted it to be the case where every time he made a film, it was a colour and then something out and another word. It's like, you know, the next one would be like, you know, Red Bullet. Yeah. (laughs) Like, Yellow Dog and things like that. Someone already did Yellow Submarines. Yellow Submarines already been done. He has taken, man. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, so let me talk about uh, the levelling really quickly then. So the levelling is a British British drama from Hope Dixon Leach. Uh, This is kind of a gothic drama 
but it's set in the present day, set in you know contemporary Britain. It's set on a farm. The idea is uh, the farm is run by the the older farmer. His daughter has been away at veterinary school. She's played by Ellie Kendrick. The father's played by David Troughton. These are uh, he, you'd know him to look at, but you won't know his name. That's I, that's everyone for me. He's that guy from that thing to you. All oh, right. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Ellie Kendrick's character returns home after the you know sudden death of her brother. Right. She returns home. She's been away at vet school. She's she then discovers that her brother actually took his own life. And the question then she, she starts to gestate over is, why? What drove him to do this? And what was what was going on, on on this farm that suddenly he would spontaneously decide to take his own life? And she starts to look into it. And at the same time, she's left to sort of provide a sort of in, involuntary emotional crutch for her dad, right. who's very much just wanted to move on. He's doing that stiff upper lip thing. Yeah. He's like, you know, we've got, we got a farm to run. Like, get out and milk the cows kind of thing. I could I could grieve or I could milk the cows, I think yeah. he says at one point. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Actually, says that. I think yeah, she says it at one point, and uh, yeah. So the question then starts to become: What happened to her brother, and what does it mean for the farm? Uh, we've got a clip of of the, the uh, of of the the three of them because there's a brother, another brother as well, brother slash friend. Um, we've got a clip of them eating shepherd's pie. Oh. Vegetables scream. Do you know that? They do. They scream blue murder when they're being chopped down. It's not true. Bloody is. You know that, don't you? I heard they swear to... In French. Oh, mon dieu. <laughs> That's what leeks say. Oh, both better, law. Oh, my roots. <laughs> some cheap whore. Oh, look out. Here you go. She's eating some. Call the papers. It's just potato. Look at that smile. One in a million. So this is actually really something. Um, the, say it, it plays like it plays like you could actually have transplanted this script and set it in a 17th century castle in the Scottish Highlands oh. and shot it entirely at night, and it would have played exactly the same. Nice. Um, but as it is, it's really something. Now Ellie Kendrick, this is kind of this is her first feature role. Although, apparently she was in the second season of Game of Thrones. But then again, who wasn't? So I'm going to need to see a picture of her. That's well, everyone's been in Game of Thrones at some point. Yeah, exactly. One of those things. Like, Ian McShane's been in Game of Thrones. You forget that as well. He was just being Ian McShane. He, he, was, he turned up to be, to be Ian McShane. But, <laughs> you know, the Westeros version. Um, but, yeah, this is it's, it's really something. I, 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 her performance is tremendous. Now, David Troughton, character actor, very good. Oh, this is a picture of David Troughton, by the way. You might know him. Uh, possibly, I don't know. You might yeah. recognise him faintly from somewhere. He threatens to overpower every scene that he's in because he is a well-established, well-respected character actor. However, Ellie Kendrick has just enough gravitas to actually stop him doing that. Oh. You think, okay, that fair play. That works. There's something of a stage play element to it as well, something of the gothic to it, you can't deny that. And uh, Hope Dixon Leach, who, this, is, this is her first film. Right. Uh, and she, I believe she did this off, off, off a grant from, was it the British Independent Film Awards or something like that? She got a grant to do this. And she's she's written it, she's directed it, she's done a tremendous job. It's a great character piece. The characters are well defined. The mystery is actually genuinely intriguing. Like, you actually are interested in what's gone on behind it all, but it equally just works as a character drama. Oh. Um, now, this is a, there's a relatively unknown cinematographer behind it all, Nanu Segal. And... Uh, 
there's a very crisp and cold sort of a tone to it. I mean, the, the title, The Leveling, refers to them actually leveling out a part of this farm, the oh, witch's right. return. And uh, there's little things like the father has lost his mind and started going on a badger cull, for oh, instance. Okay. And she uncovers this as she's leveling. It's one of those things. It's like the harshness of the farm that she uncovers. Literally, a a, a secret she she digs up, oh, right. as it were. Literal, yeah. A literal digging up of secrets, as it were. And... It's really, really interesting. It's it's chilling, it's enthralling, it's mysterious, it's got great performances behind it. I was won over by it. Huh. And uh, I say, it, it's not a crowd pleaser, yeah. but it is a genuinely interesting drama. It's something, it's the kind of thing, to be honest, the average person is going to come across on film four late at night and then watch five minutes of them and think, oh, actually, I'll stick with this. Oh, and then tell people about that. The and, and then tell people, it's a word of mouth. Yeah. It's a grower, not a shower. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we all want to say, it is a grower, not a shower. But, uh, yeah, I'm intrigued by that. Uh, by the way, you're a Workaholics fan, aren't you? Yes. Did you see the trailer this week? For, no, uh, I'm, you know I don't do trailers too much anymore. Well, it's not a trailer, it's a teaser. It's a specially recorded thing, like all the stuff they've done for Alien Promethei. Yeah, um, Promethei. <laughs> Promethei. Right, they're doing a movie called Game Over Man, which is a reference to Aliens. Yeah. Because Bill Paxton's line in Aliens. Um, they've done an action comedy uh, set in a hotel, so they're actually in a uh, hotel, like, bellboy outfit. yeah. And uh, they've done a specially recorded teaser to announce that the film is going to be released on 4.20 next year. All right. Because, obviously, they are massive potheads. Yeah, yeah, they don't hide it. No. They don't hide it very well at no, all. No, not and uh, apparently, if you go to one of Blake Anderson's Comic-Con parties, the... the uh, the uh, scent, the scent in the air is uh, pungent. Oh. I shall say, oh. yeah. <laughs> he th- he actually DJs parties at Comic Con. I-, I find that amazing quality. Like that for me is a reason to go to Comic Con more than anything else. Just I want to go to a Blake Anderson party. <laughs> I really do. Who doesn't? Are you a Bruce Lee fan? Yeah. Yeah, who doesn't love a bit of Bruce Lee? Yeah. But, uh, right, so Shekhar Kapoor, who directed Elizabeth and yeah. Elizabeth the Golden Age, because if you do a second movie, it's got to be the golden something. All right. So, you know, Hellboy told us this. Kingsman told us this. Elizabeth told us this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the second one's got to be the golden. Right. Which... Yeah, so, you know, the golden age, the golden circle. If it's got an R, the, the golden, golden army. R something yeah. we're, we're in. Double win. Yeah. yeah, double win. If you get a golden <laughs> R title, then, yeah, you win. Um, so expect, you know, uh, uh, Underworld or Resident Evil, Evil, the Golden Revolution, next. With it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so Shekhar Kapoor, who did Elizabeth and Elizabeth II, The Golden Age, um, is going to direct a Bruce Lee biopic, which he's also co-writing with Shannon Lee, Bruce Lee's daughter. Yeah. And I didn't know this. Um, uh, I, I, I knew, I knew of, I didn't, I didn't even know of Shannon Lee, to be honest. I knew of Linda Lee because she was his widow, played by Lauren Holly in, in Dragon. Yeah. Which is the Bruce Lee story that most of us remember, if we're yep. honest. Yep. Uh, starring Jason Scott Lee, who was not actually a Lee Lee. He wasn't a Lee of the Bruce Lee family. He was a different Lee. Still a Lee. Still a Lee, but he was different Lee. All right. <laughs> He was ob- he was obviously a different Lee. That's how it works. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, the little dragon. That's going to be uh, Shaka Kapoor's next one. Uh, Chris Pine and Michelle Williams are going to be starring in a, a spy thriller together called All the All the Old Knives. I say All the Long Knives. That's the Night of the Long Knives. Uh, all the Old Knives. That's going to be their one. Okay. Uh, right. Joe Cornish is going to direct his second film. Now, are, are, were you a fan of Attack the Block? Um, oh, how do you say it? Uh, no. No, no, okay. Well, I wasn't either, to be honest. It did have, um, 
Nick Frost in there. He did have Nick Frost, and he had John Boyega in it, and we all forget that now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the movie that kind of gave the world John Boyega. Yeah. Uh, right, so Joe Cornish hasn't directed a film since. He did co-write the Edgar Wright version of Ant-Man, and he is still credited as one of the writers of Ant-Man before yeah. Edgar Wright quit it. Uh, but he looks like he's returning now for something that's being called the British Goonies. It's going to be called The Kid Who Would Be King. And he's looking to cast unknowns, right. unknown child actors as as uh, his, his cast. Mm. Apparently, it's going to be a Goonies type adventure. All right, so we could just watch the Goonies then. We could just watch the Goonies. Although there's some really insensitive stuff in that, like by today's standards. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. But uh, Nikolai Costa Waldo, also from Game of Thrones, and Christina Hendricks, they're going to star in Brian De Palma's next movie. And well, does anyone get excited about a Brian De Palma movie anymore? No. But I get excited about the movie De Palma, because that was awesome. That was a look at the entire career of Brian De Palma. A movie about his movies. A movie about his movies. Anyway, it's going to be called Domino, which uh, is weird to me, because Domino was a Tony Scott movie starring Kira Knightley. All right. Yeah. You remember when she was the bounty hunter? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a terrible movie. But had Kira Knightley in it. Had Kira Knightley in it, but uh, you don't know, she had a famous nude scene in it, in Domino. That was the big thing. They hyped it over. She had a nude scene. And then you saw it like, not really that. It's like um, with all that swordfish, kind of like swordfish. All the one I always remember was striptease with Demi Moore. Yeah, was like she got paid twelve and a half million to you know get a kid off. And then you saw it like, it was kind of a blink and miss it thing, yeah. really. I mean, you don't pay anyone. I mean, she deserved twelve and a half million just for putting up with Burt Reynolds for that long a time. But <laughs> you know, uh, Dave Chappelle's going to be in A Star Is Born. All right. Uh, which is going to be Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, oh. starring uh, Lady Gaga and, uh, and Sam Elliott and, for some strange reason, Andrew Dice Clay. But, what? Uh, what? I, I, I can't explain it either. I really can't. But uh, Oh, do you know the title? The Edge of Tomorrow 2. No, right. So every website's done that thing where they're like, Edge of Tomorrow 2 title, dot, 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 and I've just never clicked. Right, okay. Well, it's not really the kind of thing that gets someone out of bed in the morning, if we're honest. Right, bit of backstory, though. <clears throat> Are you aware of the retitling of of Edge of Tomorrow? Uh, live, die, repeat. Right, I've literally got a Blu-ray on the shelf here that, that says, you know, they've changed the title to Live, Die, Repeat. Yeah. And then the subtitle is now Edge of Tomorrow. All right, well, right. It, that's better, to be so honest. So it's kind of like 20, 20, uh, 25 years ago when, uh, oh, it was longer than that, it was 27 years ago when Die Hard 2 came out. And Die Hard 2 is literally called Die Hard 2. And the tagline was, Die Harder. Yeah. Right. The thing is, they made the tagline so big on the poster that everyone assumed that was the subtitle. Yeah. The title was, Die Hard 2, Die Harder. They they have now retroactively worked that in so that it is the subtitle of Die Hard 2. The, sub, the title of Die Hard 2 officially now is Die Hard 2, colon, Die Harder. I think when I had it on DVD, they'd... It was still the other way around. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> because they did that with Edge of Tomorrow, it became Live, Die, Repeat, Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. I'm going to love this. This is the official title of the sequel. The sequel is officially called Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Really? I'm not even making that up. Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. It's like Sharknado. Uh, yeah. Well, mind you, apparently the next Sharknado is called Sharknado 5 Earth Zero. So, you make of that what you will. This this. Live, die, repeat, and repeat. Live, die, repeat, repeat. Right, shall I tell you about a comedy that you're going to desperately want to see? Yes. Right, okay. It stars Will Ferrell. I'm in. Okay, you're in. Okay. The idea is Will Ferrell is going to be a washed-up former sitcom star. Right? 
So he's, he's going to be like a sort of failed actor who 20 years earlier was like a sitcom dad. Still in. Right. And the kid who played his son on the sitcom is now a grown-up man who's incredibly successful and there's a bit, bit of a jealousy thing going on between them. Have a guess who's playing the son. You're going to love this. Oh. It's Jason Momoa. What? Yes. <laughs> so the idea is going to be <laughs> Will Ferrell versus Jason Momoa. <laughs> I would have never guessed. You really wouldn't, would you? <laughs> no. But how awesome does that sound? Yeah, that, I'm in, I'm in. I mean, I'm in for that. Uh, King, apparently we're already getting Kingsman 3. That's that's kind of already been decided. Yeah, it's already, like, yeah, just just why not? Well, in, to be honest, at the end of the first one, you're like, yeah, I'll watch a few more of these. Why I'll, I'll watch a couple more. Yeah. I'd rather they just left it alone, because I think Kingsman, uh, uh, Kick-Ass 2 was terrible. Yeah, that, yeah. But, uh, yeah, King, Kick-Ass 2 was just that. Just why? Why do that? Although, apparently, uh, Matthew Vaughan has in interviews recently said, we learnt a lot from Kingsman 2. Um, uh, we learnt what not to do. You're like, what, make the film? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, um, one of my uh, one of my uh, most unfortunate pieces of news of last week, David Lynch is done making feature films. Oh, That's sad. That I think uh, I've always wanted him to do a sequel to Doom. But uh, why not? Why not? The Stranger Things. There really there are really Stranger Things out there. But uh, let's see what else we got in the world. Oh, the Happy Time Murders. Have you ever heard of that? Happy Time Murders. Uh, no. Right. It's going to be a sort of Roger Rabbit type movie. Right, but instead of animation, it's Jim Henson puppets. It's like Sesame Street puppets. I'm in. Exactly, right? <laughs> so it's going to be like a, a, a puppet cop, a, a puppet detective who's like an ex-cop, teaming up with his human partner to solve the murder of like, a puppet serial... To, to crack the case of a puppet serial killer. This is amazing. And Melissa McCarthy is going to be the human lead. Oh, I'm in. I'm yeah, definitely. I'm in. Sounds great. And it's being directed by Brian Henson, son of Jim. Oh. So I'm I'm sold on that. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Son of Jim. Son of Jim. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pierre Morel, who directed uh, uh, Taken, Pierre Morel famously directed Taken. Um, he is he's directing a film called Peppermint, oh. which is being called the Female John Wick. Oh wow! Which apparently we already have because Atomic Blonde is basically that. Apparently, it's right. Charlie's Theron's new one. Which just looks amazing. Have you seen that trailer? No, no. Oh, I'll show you. It is. It's awesome. It looks awesome. It just looks just immense. Um, Antoine Fuqua, whose whose name we will never get tired of saying out loud. Uh, the head of Fuqua Films. Your face lit up before you said it. Like I do. Fuqua. Fuqua. Fuqua Films. Uh, he signed a deal with with Sony recently. All right. <clears throat> giving them uh, first dibs. On, on all this stuff from now on. Oh, okay. This includes The Equalizer 2, oh. and a movie about uh, the Black Panthers, about one of their leaders who was uh, discovered mysteriously dead mm. under very, very dubious circumstances. Did he have the Spectre lyrics next to him? <laughs> he did not have the Spectre <laughs> lyrics next to him. <laughs> uh, one of the writers of Avatar 2 is going to write the screenplay for the Gears of War movie. Oh, wow. Right, the good thing is, if he starts today then Gears of War might reach cinema screens before Avatar 2. So, you know, with a decade to spare. It's not like that should have been done years ago or anything. No, no, not at all. We perish the thought. <laughs> <laughs> Clive Owen has joined a movie called Ophelia, which, if you've not heard of it, is going to be a retelling of Hamlet from the perspective of the Queen's handmaiden, who is going to be played by Daisy Ridley. All right. So Calvin will be first in line. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you know, by the way, and I only know this because I'm friends with Calvin and he texts me really strange things at all hours of the night, that uh, Daisy Ridley has two sisters who are basically identical to her. Oh. Yeah. 
I think they are Maisie and Lazy Ridley. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but they really do look exactly like uh, Daisy Ridley. Uh, Jordan Peele has signed a first look deal with Universal. The first film he's going to make is apparently another social thriller. Uh, in the vein of Get Out. Have you seen Get Out yet? Yes. Did you love Get Out? Yeah. It was although, awesome. Although I found myself like all the way through turning and just going like, this is really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you love Bradders in it? Yeah. Bradley Whitford just owns that. Parola's dad. It, oh, he is, isn't he? Yeah. He is. I forget that. God, he was. He wasn't he like an airline pilot in that yeah. in, in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Oh man, yeah. But uh, oh, oh, and Shia LaBeouf because we all love Shia LaBeouf and, and his 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 vast body of cinematic uh, yeah. efforts. Uh, he's he's signed up for a new one. It's called the Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah, no one cares. No, well, no, it's being called a bit of a Tom Sawyer type type tale. Um, he is going to play the unlikely wrestling coach to an to an autistic boy who goes on the uh, no, he gets Down syndrome. A boy who goes leaves home to go and pursue his dream, of becoming a wrestling champion. So, well, as as you do. Yeah. Absolutely as you do. Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> Shia, LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf sounds like something you should cry out when you stub your toe. Like, <laughs> ow, Shia LaBeouf! <laughs> like, I'm going to do that now. Yeah, I, yeah, I stub yeah, my toe. Yeah. But, uh, so yeah, that's that's all the film news, really. <clears throat> we, we, we've plowed through it all in, like, record time. We use at least ten more minutes. Yeah, but uh, I think it's because Case is actually uh, better than me at this job, and uh, he's got opinions on the things because he's read about it. <laughs> whereas, whereas I'm just saying, being like, "Yeah, tell me more. Why not?" Yeah, but the re- the reason we have you on uh, instead of someone else is because you at least can have a conversation about movies, which we we like. Oh, right, that's fair. So, but uh, say yeah. things like Peralta's dad. Peralta's dad, exactly. <laughs> I, I did catch up with Brooklyn Nine Nine this afternoon, actually. So good, and uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have done so. I very much like that show. It's so good, but. Uh, no, I, it was a very good week for films this week. I mean, the Alien movie was the worst movie this week. Yeah. I mean, that, who'd have thunk that? That is quite sad, though. That is sad, isn't it? Although Prometheus did suck, so... Yeah, Prometheus was... Oh, in the worst part, I watched Prometheus uh, voluntarily last week. I thought, oh, I'll give it another try ahead of... You know, Prometheus. Uh, yeah, yeah. ahead of Promethei. So they see where we are. Yeah, you yeah. know, like revisit, like when a new TV show, a new season of a TV show starts, you watch the finale from the previous season. Yeah, you yeah. Know, like that. So I did that and I watched it. And then <laughs> the night before I saw Alien Covenant, I was, uh, I couldn't sleep. I was up late and uh, on, I think it was Channel 4, was Prometheus. And there was nothing on TV at that. And I'm like, oh God, I'm going to have to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> And I was just, I, and I'll be really honest, I hate Prometheus. It looks nice. Yeah, that's the thing, though. It's like, um, do you remember when we had, like, the PlayStation 1 and you'd get the demo disc showing you what, like, games could look like? You're like, wow, this is cool. Although I'm just... <laughs> Actual gameplay footage not featured. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what Prometheus is. It's like, oh, wow, this looks great. But, like, yeah, it's, the rest of it's pants. <laughs> it's funny you mention oh, that video games. don't blink. Well, that too. It's funny you mention video games, though, because one thought I did have through uh, Alien Covenant was, you know when you really want them to make, like, a new Doom game for yeah. the PS4? But rather than do that, what they do is they just reissue the old ones remastered into HD. Yes. And they've maybe added a level to them. Yeah. That is Alien Covenant. Ah, uh, right. It's like, we're not going to do, you know, Prince of Persia 9, we're just going to give you the first eight remastered in HD didn't, with two new scenes in it. Didn't they actually do an Alien game that was meant to be really good? Alien Isolation. Funnily enough, I was talking to Kermode about it. <clears throat> Should have just played that on the screens. <clears throat> you know, the YouTube playthroughs that people yeah. do. 
Well, after after I saw Covenant, because he's obviously the, the go-to guy for Alien movies, I asked Kermit, I went, am I right in thinking that this, insert spoiler here, yeah. is from an early draft of Alien 3? And then started a, a very long conversation about the fate of Alien 3, right. in which I think I, I must like it more than he does. But um, <laughs> he did say, in fact, he actually did specifically say, the best thing he's seen from the Alien universe since the James Cameron one is the Alien Isolation game. And oh. I said, my son played it for about two weeks and lost about three stone. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah, I can absolutely believe that. I, I've not got around to playing it yet, actually. No, I'm um, I'm not man enough. It's uh, it's quite jumpy. And- oh, I saw the footage from it. It looked amazing. Yeah, I'm a six but- foot three wimp. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, God, I'm so jumpy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> well, no, remember the time we watched Event Horizon and the power died? Di- oh. We had a power cut in my house. Don't. That's literally one of the scariest moments <laughs> in my life. That's amazing. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know this, John Coulson charged up an iPhone using a dodge using one of my dodgy plugs, right? During the first time he had ever seen Event Horizon, it got to the sequence with Sam Neill in the uh, in the, uh, the, the 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 Jeffrey's tube or the access panel when yeah. when scary things start happening. And at that moment, his phone blew the power in my house, God. and he freaked out. It was great, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was absolutely Some brilliant. Offensive language was screamed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a good one. But uh, Shall we leave it there, then, for this week? Yeah, I think we should. Okay, well, do you want to cue us out, then? Oh, do I get to say you it? You get to say it. Go for it. Here it is, your moment of cage. What are you going to do for me? What do you think I'm going to do? I'm going to say the f***ing day.